Hello, my friend, and welcome back to the second episode of Practicing Human. Yesterday, in episode one, I gave you an overview of what this podcast would be about, what my intention is, and how I hope you can integrate it into your life. Today, I want to share my story, my background, and what it is I do on a day-to-day basis. And this is not to bore you with details about me, but I do think if we are going to be spending this time together, it's important for you to know more about me what my qualifications are, what my trainings are, what my education has been, so that you can see what the particular lens is that I might bring to the exploration of what it means to live well, and also potential limitations and blind spots in my perspective. Now, in the first episode, I mentioned that these daily episodes would be between 3 to 10 minutes long. This episode may be a little longer than most, since this will be the only time I'm going over my background and giving you my story. So let's start with what I do. For the last seven or so years, I've been running the Long Island Center for Mindfulness, teaching mindfulness workshops, retreats, longer courses in the Long Island area, which is where I live at the moment, when I'm not traveling, uh, which is about 50% of the time, because a lot of my other work involves speaking and teaching around the country and around the world now to organizations, healthcare systems, education, schools, on the topics of mindfulness, meditation, and positive psychology, all kind of lumped into one general category of well-being. And I wear a few other hats and have over the last number of years. Uh, For a few years, I taught mindfulness-based leadership at Columbia University to uh, principals and school leaders there as part of one of their graduate programs, and currently serve as an instructor of positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania for a master's program called the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology, which is also where I completed my graduate work. Now, key thing here, if you're not familiar with positive psychology, it's not positive thinking, it's not happyology, it's not the opposite of negative psychology. We've heard them all. Believe it or not, we do have a whole body of science right now that is specifically looking at the question of what it means to live well. What is happiness? How do we measure it? How do we understand it? And then how do we facilitate it at an individual group and organizational level? Which is important to understand because I'm going to reference many different topics related to positive psychology in this podcast. At the heart of my interest, which is what I also alluded to yesterday, is well-being, is what does it mean to live a fulfilling life? But if you were to ask most people, (laughs) what would you put on Corey's business card? they would probably say meditation teacher. And that's still a weird thing for me to say or think about because I remember how I had a lot of different ideas of what it meant to be a meditation teacher. I thought it meant you were kind of a hippie or very spiritual. Maybe you burned incense and lit candles. And I've got nothing against that stuff if that's what you're into. It just wasn't my jam when I was getting into this. I got into this when I was in college. When I was in a fraternity, I was social chair, I was throwing parties, and you could say I got into it for less noble reasons. I was trying to impress a girl. I had a hippie girlfriend in college, she was into meditation, and I thought if I meditated she would think I was cool. Well, she broke up with me two weeks later, so no happy ending there. But there was a different happy ending because I did start to take the practice seriously. And I made this New Year's resolution that I was going to meditate three times a week, 15 minutes a day. And I really didn't know what I was doing. I would just lie in my dorm room bed, put my hands on my belly, and I would think, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. 
And it was just very basic, just focusing on the breath over and over and over. But within a few weeks of doing this inhale-exhale thing, some interesting things started to happen. First, related to sleep. I was a very restless sleeper at that point. I'd wake up probably about 20 to 30 times a night, just very light sleep. I wouldn't put it in the category of insomnia, although it sounds like that. It was just like my sleep was never deep and was never high quality. And I had taken sleep meds, but they mainly just made me groggy. I had a very active mind throughout the night. I um, started doing the meditation and within a few weeks went from waking up 30 times a night to only a couple times a night. And then started having nights where I wasn't waking up at all, which I didn't even know that was possible. So that started to pique my interest. The other thing that started to happen was I was paying all this money for a college education. I was going to class, but I wasn't actually in class, meaning my body was in one place, but my mind was in another. And I don't think you need to be a student to resonate with this. It's so easy for us to be totally caught up in our thoughts, our ideas, judgments, future past, that rarely are we actually where our bodies are. And I wanted to focus. I wanted to be present. I had the intention to do that, but it always just felt like there was an inability to do so. My mind was all over the place, constantly thinking, ruminating, planning, past, future, whatever. And I'd say within about a month of doing the meditation practice, um, I developed this new thing that some people call paying attention. And for me, it felt like a superpower. I started to enjoy learning more. I started to enjoy seeing like how long I could focus without my mind wandering. I was able to re- retain uh, information more, so my grades started to improve. And overall, I just felt more grounded and centered without my mind going off in all these different directions. There was more clarity, I was a better listener, and I felt more calm. Which leads to the third big thing I noticed, which was that I'd be walking around campus, and seemingly out of nowhere, I would just start to feel good. There would be a a smile on my face, a little pep in my step, or this internal sense of ease, like uh, I'm at peace right now. Um, And it wasn't radical, it's not like the clouds parted and all my problems went away. But there's, there was this sense of something shifting internally, and it was highly compelling to me because I had struggled with anxiety and depression prior to that, and to feel good seemingly out of nowhere was a, a very new experience for me, and something, as you can imagine, that I wanted more of. So I started getting more interested in this mindfulness meditation thing, but I was an economics major, and as you can imagine, not many people in the economics department were talking about meditation. So didn't really tell anyone I was doing this for some time and then had this experience uh, that shifted the course of everything for me. It kind of brings us to where we are today. Uh, we took this trip to the New York Stock Exchange, the whole economics department at Allegheny College. And there were about 35 of us and uh, eight hour trip to Manhattan. We get there, go in this room with floor to ceiling windows. And after waiting for a bit, guy walks in wearing what must have been a $10,000 suit pulls up his slides, gives a two-hour PowerPoint presentation, and by the end of it, I felt like my soul was sucked outside my body. I was bored, uninspired, totally lifeless, and I just remember thinking, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but I know for damn sure I do not want to end up like this guy. Now, to be fair to him, I have no idea what's going on in his life. Guy could have had a colonoscopy before he came in the room. I'm not saying he's perpetually miserable. I actually don't know anything about his life. And I'm certainly not saying all people in the finance world are miserable, because I know a ton of people in that world that are very content and fulfilled. 
But for whatever reason, uh, I had that experience and it really got me asking the question, you know, if that's not what I want, if there was such a clear visceral repulsion to that, then what is it that I want? And I spent a lot of time with that question, months, which was not comfortable because I was halfway through my college career. I was mostly through my economics major. And now I was questioning things. Uh, but I stayed with it. And the the big response that kept coming up to that inquiry was very simply, I just want to be happy, which I know sounds incredibly trite, but it was very clear to my 19, 20-year-old mind that everything I was pursuing was in service of some greater fulfillment. The job that I thought I wanted, the relationships I wanted, the future lifestyle I perceived that I wanted, all of these were because it would lead to some idea of being more fulfilled, more content, more happier. But I could also see that much of my pursuit of this happiness, up until then at least, was mostly about arranging the puzzle pieces of my life in a particular way so that the picture would look good. And then when the picture looked good, then I could be happy. Then I could be relaxed. And then I will have arrived. And, you know, what's the issue with that? Rarely does that actually happen, that all of the puzzle pieces come together in the way that we want. And we often exhaust ourselves in the process trying to get there. And I was starting to see this at at that age, at age 20. But the real kicker of all of this was that I was also seeing that sometimes the puzzle pieces did come together in the way that I wanted them to. And then I was happy. And then several days later, I was off to the next thing. And now whatever it was before, like now it needed to be bigger and better and prettier and more grandiose. And I just felt like I was climbing this ladder with an infinite number of rungs thinking, you know, once I get there, then I'll be happy. Wait, not that. Once I get there, then I'll wait, not that. Once I get there. And and that terrified me that I could just continue on this never-ending ladder, this never-ending treadmill. And I got interested in one big question, which was how do we cultivate a happiness that is less dependent on external variables? But I'm sure you can imagine a young man coming home, talking to his father, saying, Hey, Dad, I know I was going to go into business, but now I think I want to understand how to cultivate happiness that's less contingent upon external variables. Usually, you might imagine a response like, Okay, that's cute, son. Now go get a job. Fortunately, that's not how it went down. And one of the great gifts and certainly a privilege in my life was that my uh, my father, who's a physician on Long Island, he was getting a little frustrated with the direction healthcare was going in and he happened to be doing self-study in mindfulness and positive psychology as alternative ways to promote health for his patients and my mother was also interested in these topics as a social worker and who had devoted her life to helping other people and they more or less said like if this is something you want to explore you can and you can do it through the scientific lens and that's really all i needed <laughs> to hear um I took my type A personality into this new exploration and just started reading books, picked up psychology minor at Allegheny College, started going on mindfulness meditation retreats, uh, was traveling back and forth to Duke Integrated Medicine to become a health coach. And by my senior year at Allegheny, I really started uh, teaching mindfulness and meditation to the student body. And all of it happened very, pr- uh, very fast and in a compressed way, if you can't already tell. Uh, which is very much my personality, as you'll learn through this podcast. I get excited about something, and then I kind of go 120% into it, for better or worse. And 
by the time I graduated, I, I just had to make some decisions about next steps for my life. And things were going well. I was meditating 15 minutes a day. I was getting happier, less stressed. And I was inspired about kind of the path that I was going down. And I think a normal person would probably go, you know, hey, Corey, you're meditating 15 minutes a day. It's going really well. Your life is improving. Just keep doing what you're doing, bud. My mind goes, well, hey, you're meditating 15 minutes a day and it's going this well. What would happen if you meditated 15 hours a day? So that's what I did. Shortly after graduating college, I went over to Southeast Asia, Burma specifically, and uh, went into a six and a half month silent meditation retreat in a monastery uh, where I lived as a monk. Uh, ordained under the great Burmese meditation teacher, Saida Upandita. And during this time, we were doing a minimum of 14 hours of meditation each day. There was no reading, no writing, no listening to music or contact with the outside world. We were eating two meals a day, one at 5.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. And so you could do the math, fasting about 19 hours. And we'd wake up every day at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. and go to bed usually not earlier than 9.30 p.m. So uh, usually getting around five, five and a half hours of sleep. It was hot, often over 100 degrees, and there was no air conditioning. The fans went out 30 times a day because the electricity went out 30 times a day. There were large insects, <laughs> spiders the size of my hand, bees <laughs> the size of my ears, <laughs> just mosquitoes. Everything is just bigger in Burma. And... Um, and the teacher I was studying under, Saida Upandita, who's 91 and who's passed in recent years, he was just notorious for being one of the best meditation teachers alive, but also one of the most demanding and difficult teachers to study and practice under because he just had such high expectations for his students and, and how he thought you were supposed to practice. And his thought essentially was, like, if you're going to come to this monastery, you're here to get enlightened. And if you're not going to practice with that intention, then you have no business being here. So all to say, it was very intense. I was not sleeping much in the early days. The mattresses we were sleeping on were so thin you could squeeze in between your fingers and feel the bone in the other side. Uh, I was constantly hungry from eating two small meals. My body was in a lot of physical pain, and just the intense amount of, of sitting was um, austere. But uh, I made it through, and by the end of that retreat, I was able to spend about most of my day, 20 to 23 hours actually, in a small room by myself in the dark, meditating for uh, almost 20 of those hours, sleeping for only two hours a night, and only coming out for two small meals. And that was the happiest I had ever been in my life, which there's like no science to support that that should happen. Uh, and yet it was my experience. Uh, and to me, it spoke to just how powerful the mind is when we train it in the proper way uh, and how much we can cultivate a, a much deeper quality of peace that is not solely contingent upon uh, the moment being perfectly manufactured to our liking. However, when I finally came home six months later, I had a whole new skill set to navigate the world and something did fundamentally shift in me. But it was really interesting to go back to my world from the monastery because I quickly saw that it was one thing to cultivate this deep peace in a monastic setting. And it's another thing entirely to do it in a world where there are money concerns and big world issues to contend with or complicated relationship dynamics and family dynamics. And Although I felt much more equipped to handle these things, there was still a lot of struggle and still a lot of things I, I didn't get to practice and train uh, because they just didn't get triggered in a monastic setting. 
so the next stage of my journey just became integrating the depth of what I touched in Burma in the monastery with the real world. And so in typical quarry fashion, I, uh, I just went 100% into that exploration and started doing all these other trainings, all these multi-year, you know, the mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher training through UMass. I went through the year-long search inside yourself teacher training, which is a program to bring mindfulness into businesses that was started at Google. Uh, I went through <laughs> year-long mindful schools teacher training to understand how to bring mindfulness into schools. I got my 200-hour yoga certification to understand how this work relates to the body and movement. And I was really interested in behavior change, so I got certified in neurolinguistic programming, NLP, and Ericksonian hypnosis. I did my master's in positive psychology at UPenn just to better understand what we know through the science of happiness. And then I got more interested at a community level and the role of the ecosystem we live in and and what that plays uh, in our well-being. So did this two-and-a-half-year teacher training through Spirit Rock called Community Dharma Leaders, which is all about mindfulness, Buddhism, and, and social justice, and saw that it's uh, impossible to talk about presence and well-being without also having an understanding of trauma and the role trauma plays in our lives. So did training through the Trauma Institute, uh, run by Bessel van der Kolk, and... Um, and there's others, <laughs> but I'm already getting tired of talking about all of this. So I, I think you get the point, uh, which is that this this is an ongoing journey for me. And I'm deeply passionate about exploring the concept of well-being, fulfillment, and happiness through a lot of different lenses. I am <laughs> the furthest from uh, let's just be positive or focus on the good stuff. Like There's importance to that, and there's also a ton of importance in Uh, working through our shadows, our pains, our deeper struggles with awareness and presence and compassion. So I want to continue this journey together and bring you into my exploration and we'll create ways to get feedback for you to ask questions and also to point out blind spots. Like I want you to call me out on stuff. Uh, I think that's important and I acknowledge that. I'm coming to this as a straight, white, able-bodied male born in the U.S. and living in the U.S. I'm very much the poster child of privilege, which doesn't mean that I haven't or can't go through hardship or that I'm fundamentally bad in any way, but there are just ways of seeing the world and living in the world that I can't possibly know just through the nature of living and growing up in the body that I've been giving. And I want to remain sensitive to that uh, as we really dive into this deep exploration of what it means to live a good life so that it's uh, it's not one-dimensional. Okay, so uh, thanks for listening to all of this. As I said, most of these episodes are not going to be uh, this long. What are we at? Like, yeah, 19 minutes. Um, but I do want you to have my background, my story. Hopefully you can see the value in, in hearing that and getting to know me a little bit more and perhaps putting a little bit more trust in uh, what we might be discussing here, knowing that it is coming from a background of uh, science uh, and also different spiritual pursuits, um, Eastern traditions. In the next few episodes, we're going to discuss some of the foundational elements to this podcast, things like what is mindfulness, what is meditation, presence, things that I'll be referencing a lot throughout the podcast and I want you to get uh, a foundational understanding of. So definitely make sure you you tune in over this next week because um, those foundational pillars will, yeah, they will be the building blocks for uh, the rest of this podcast. 
As always, if you want resources to help you along in this journey, book recommendations, app recommendations, guided meditations, lots of different stuff, just text your email address to 631-337-8298, 631-337-8298, and you'll get an automated email to your inbox with all, all of those links and files. Okay, that's all for now. Let's get on with the day. I hope you have a good day. Actually, I just hope you have a day. However the day goes, meet it with presence. We'll talk more about what that could look like tomorrow when we discuss mindfulness. Appreciate you being here. Talk to you soon. And until then, take care.